Today's Bible reading is from Isaiah 55. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. G'day church family. If you're watching this, it means uh, I'm a little bit too sick to be there in person. I've come down with a bit of a, um, a cold this week, but I really wanted to dig into Isaiah chapter 55 with you. So I've recorded this sermon. Hopefully it helps us to uh, hear what God has to say for us in this chapter. Uh, but maybe you're a fan of cooking shows. Uh, I know there's lots of great chefs in our church. Uh, they're all over the place. Master chef, Dwine chef, they're kind of all the rage. I confess I'm not a huge fan, although I did get into one years ago called Heston's Feasts. Uh, maybe you saw it. It's about this chef, Heston Blumenthal. He invites a table of celebrities to a feast, and each one is based on a different theme, uh, like Medieval Feast or a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Feast. And he puts on this really incredible banquet uh, where just about everything you can see is edible. Uh, and what you notice as you kind of watch these people going at the feast is... Uh, the guests sit back, they relax, and they start laughing and chatting. And uh, as each course comes out, um, the, it brings a new surprise, the new, new flavours that kind of blow them away. And it's just this really joyful scene. A feast can do that, right? It can soften you and make you smile and laugh. It, brings, it can bring real joy. I'm looking forward to our feast next week in uh, our uh, casserole and curry lunch. Um, but today we're coming towards the end of Isaiah, 
um, uh, over the next few weeks we'll reach there. And Isaiah's prophecy, as we've seen all the, all the way from the beginning, uh, Isaiah's prophecy is all about transformation. It's about the transformation of the people of God and ultimately the transformation of the entire world. And as we've seen over the last few chapters, uh, there's this figure called the servant who is really key to this transformation. The servant of the Lord. And last week we looked at chapter 53, which is like the greatest and last of the servant songs. These songs about this figure, the servant. And it kind of brings everything together. Uh, we need transforming because of our sin. Our sin that cuts us off from the Holy God. And the only way for us to be healed and forgiven is through this servant's substitution in our place. Uh, remember that from last week. In our sin and pride... We put ourselves in God's place, but in the gospel, Jesus, the suffering servant, puts himself in our place, bearing the penalty for sin that we deserve. Now, all of this is wonderful, but it's pretty serious stuff. Uh, maybe you felt that as we looked at it last week. Our sin is a terrible reality. It really is. The, core, the ultimate cause of all the brokenness and evil of this world. So it, it's so serious that Jesus had to die in order to deal with it. So it can feel a little surprising as you get to these chapters that after such a heavy kind of chapter, you get to chapters 54 and 55. We're just looking at 55 today, but hopefully in home groups you would have had a chance to look at chapter the one before, 54, which is like this joyful song that can't be contained uh, and then you get to 55 and the picture changes. It changes to this overwhelmingly rich feast, this banquet that kind of leaves Heston in the dust. <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a surprise as you read through, but it's not an accident at all. What you realise as you read these chapters is that what the servant achieves, it's not just about dealing with the problem of human sin in the past. Uh, that needs to be dealt with, but... Here we see the end result of that. It's not just kind of a neutral, clean slate. But the end result is this warm, uh, incredible um, reality in which God opens his arms wide to welcome us into his eternal and abundant joy. Friends, the hope of the gospel is not less joy, but infinitely greater and perfect joy. There is a call to repent, to turn from our sin, and we'll touch on that today. And uh, actually next week's passage is going to go really in depth into that, be all about that. But what this chapter does for us is to show us that whenever we do that, we say no to something out of trusting obedience to God, it's only because we're, we're really saying yes to something far better, something far better. And here it is, Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest of fare. So in the light of what the suffering servant will do through his death, God rings out this joyful invitation to come, 
All your deepest longings, everything that you thirst for, will be fully and eternally satisfied at this feast. But do you notice what God requires people to bring with them to get into this feast? Uh, if you want to get into a, a three Michelin star restaurant, uh, I imagine you need to fork up some serious cash and it probably doesn't help to have some good kind of connections as well. Probably why I've never been into one. Um, but what is, it, what is it that you need for this great feast in Isaiah 55, this banquet to end all banquets? What do you need with you? Nothing. This is a feast for those who have no money. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. There's nothing you can bring that will kind of pay your way in, that'll impress the host to letting you in. You can't bring anything to contribute to this feast. But on another level, it's not quite true that to say that you don't bring anything, is it? There's nothing you can contribute to pay your way in. But there is something you must bring. To get into this feast, you must bring your thirst. You must bring your neediness, your brokenness, your poverty. And that's often a problem for us. It's often what keeps many of us from coming to this feast. Our pride means we really want to offer some part of ourselves that's worthy. Uh, but there is no place in this feast for people who want to pay their own way in. The debt we owe is just far too great. We, we can't pay it. That's why God gives this kind of subtle and stinging rebuke in verse 2. He says, why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? You can keep living in self-reliance, but it will leave you empty. It won't satisfy you. God opposes the proud, the Bible says, but the bright and wonderful vision of Isaiah is that the price for entering this feast has already been completely paid through the death of the servant. And while God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. He calls out and invites thirsty, weak people into an abundant, overflowing, never-ending feast. So what's on the menu? What's on the menu for this feast, on this banquet? What is it that God is offering that could be so satisfying, uh, that could cause such delight? Let's keep reading. Verse 3, um, God says, Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. So God promises this everlasting covenant, the fulfillment of his love that he promised to David. Uh, a covenant is uh, it's kind of a special relationship between two parties that's uh, based on binding promises. Um, you don't hear the word much these days, although uh, from what I understand, if you've built a house, you probably had to sign a building covenant um, or something like that, from what I can tell. 
Um, but, but the idea of a covenant is actually really important in the Bible. It's used all through the Bible, and it's used to describe the relationship between God and his people. Uh, God enters a covenant with his people. He binds himself to them with promises, and he calls them to respond with their own commitment to him, their own obedience to him. So God makes this covenant. He made one with Noah. It's the first explicit one we read about, that he would never destroy the world again through a flood. And then in this key moment in Genesis 12, he makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes this covenant that he would make him a great nation, give him a land to live in, and that through his family, God would bring his blessing to every nation on the earth. He'd undo the curse of the fall. Uh, and then he makes another covenant with Abraham's descendants. Uh, years later, so after they've gone to Egypt and then back, he, he makes uh, a covenant with them through Moses. He, he promises to be their God and that he'll live with them and they'll be his people. And he gives them his law, his instruction to obey. And the story goes on and you get another covenant with David, the greatest of Israel's kings. Uh, God made this covenant with David. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 7. And he promised this king who would come from David's line, who would build an eternal kingdom. So there's all these covenants that you read about. But the problem with these covenants, it wasn't at all that God had failed in his promises. The great problem was that the people never lived up to their side of the relationship. And that's basically what we've seen all through Isaiah. That's the reason Israel ended up in exile. Um, but through this time, when they were in exile, God, God promised through his prophets, he kept sending these promises that he would bring about another new, a new covenant, uh, one whereby his spirit, he would bring about a deep heart change in his people. And Isaiah talks about this, this covenant, he, and he focuses this new covenant on this figure of the servant, this servant. And we, we actually saw that back in chapter 42, if you remember. Uh, in some way, this servant would himself be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. And it's not as if this new covenant God promises, it doesn't cancel out the older ones at all. Uh, the relationship is one of fulfillment. It fulfills them. This new covenant would fulfill them completely and fully. This servant would bring about everything that God had promised from the beginning in fullness and in a full and perfect way. Uh, in, in kids' church, they've been learning this uh, memory verse. So maybe you can um, ask one of the kids afterwards at morning tea. Uh, and the memory verse is, The yes to all of God's promises is in Christ Jesus. It comes from... 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the yes to all of God's promises is in Christ Jesus. This servant would bring about this new covenant, the fulfillment of all his promises and plans. And friends, that, that's, I know there's, a lot, there's kind of a lot of ground we've covered, but that is why this feast is so wonderful. Because through this everlasting covenant, established in the servant, this new relationship with God made possible through the sacrifice of this suffering servant in our place. Through that, there is absolute security and peace between God and his people.
the servant would do what we could never do. He'll be the king over this wonderful kingdom and life under his good rule will be a beautiful feast that Isaiah says the nations are going to come bolting to join in on. And God says, give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. This is the word that will give you life. This is what's, this is what's on the menu at my feast. Come and drink this living water. Eat this life-giving bread of heaven. Come and rest in this new and everlasting and utterly secure covenant. Well, at this point in verse 6, there's a bit of a pause. Um, God has been speaking up to this point about his servant. God stops speaking here and we hear from, directly from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, God's made this incredible invitation to everyone to come and enter his feast. But Isaiah kind of changes the tone here. Maybe you picked that up. It switches from this invitation to an urgent plea. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Isaiah knows God's invitation won't always be extended. Uh, he knows there's a real urgency to this. He knows that what, uh, there's, no, there's no price you can pay to enter this banquet. But even so, you do need to turn to acknowledge the wickedness of your ways without God. To acknowledge the unrighteousness of your thoughts. To turn from them. And to cast yourself on God's mercy. Now there will be some listening today who have not yet done that. And if that's you, can you hear the urgency of this call to seek God while he may be found? You don't know how long that is. You don't know whether you have a lifetime ahead of you or whether you will be taken from this earth today. But right now, right now, the Lord is near. And the Lord calls for you to come and join his feast. So friend, will you, will you forsake your rebellious ways? Forsake them. They, they can't satisfy you. Come to this banquet, to the God who will freely pardon you and who will welcome you with open arms. Uh, it's a really exposing and humbling thing to do that. It, it kind of makes you incredibly vulnerable. Uh, and I think that's why we often put up walls around ourselves or around our heart to stop us from kind of openly acknowledging our sin. Um, the only way you can have those walls taken down is if you know that you're in safe hands. If you know that the one you are turning to is utterly trustworthy and good. And that's exactly what Isaiah goes on to show us uh, in the next section here. Uh, from verse 8 onwards. So let's read from verse 8. Uh, uh, God speaks again. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This word, this word of this new eternal covenant, established through the blood of the servants, that makes it possible for us to freely join in God's eternal feast. This word, it's like rain falling down to give life to the earth. Uh, rain doesn't kind of drop down and bounce back up to the sky, right? <laughs> it falls, it stays, and it soaks in to do its work. And this word of forgiveness and new life is like that. It comes from God, this host of the banquet, who is utterly trustworthy and whose word is powerful. And it will achieve its purpose. It will draw people who see their own poverty and thirst. And they will turn from their ways. People who hear this call to come to the Lord, who will have mercy, who will forgive, because he has laid on the servant the sins of us all. Well, it's really interesting uh, uh, that... Some food, lots of food, has an aftertaste, right? Really interesting food does. And it often has this ongoing impact in your mouth, an aftertaste. Uh, one of the strongest memories I have of this is, I remember when Warhead lollies came out in the 90s. I don't know if you remember them. I think they're still around. There's this kind of extreme sour lollies that make your eyes water and leave your mouth all tingly for minutes afterwards. Uh, you can have good aftertastes too, right? Like a... For instance, a really nice casserole or curry, for example. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to some pleasing aftertastes at lunch next week. So uh, look, looking forward to God willing being there with you. Uh, but as good or strong as they are, these, these aftertastes, uh, they always go away in the end, right? But there's something just so wonderful about this aftertaste, this ongoing effect uh, of this meal that is offered to us in the gospel. The impact of it, it doesn't kind of stay in our mouth for a bit and then go away. If anything, it just keeps getting sweeter and stronger. In a way, the word aftertaste isn't quite right. Um, it's like the feast just get, keeps getting better and, and more real and what's come before was more like a foretaste. Um, coming in and eating from this feast will mean, uh, will mean this in verse 12. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. So this everlasting covenant through the blood of the servant, is so big, so cosmic, that all of creation is swept up in it. 
Our sin broke the world and brought with it pain and death and thorns and briars. But do you see that in verse 13? Uh, this will be nothing less than the overcoming of the fall, right? the, the reversal of sin's effects on the creation. Uh, we're going to see a lot more of this in a few weeks' time as Isaiah goes on as he wraps things up to finish on this vision of a new heavens and a new earth. But through it all, the Lord would be glorified. Uh, it'll be for his renown. Everyone will see and know that the host of this meal is God. So friends, we're going to uh, finish. Uh, we've looked through this wonderful chapter. And I want to finish with this invitation to all of us. It's an invitation for everyone. Come. Come. Come to the waters. Come for the first time. Uh, come for the 500th time. Just come. Because the living water of the gospel that we first drink is the same water that sustains us in every moment in this life. We, we never move on from it. We never stop needing it. What this passage does for us is it, it asks us the question, what, what are you feeding your soul on? What... What are you quenching your thirst with? What's your spiritual diet? We're all eating and drinking something. We're all feeding our hearts and our minds on things that we look to for satisfaction and security and peace. And God says, I have a much better feast for you. The wonderful good news that can thrill your hearts and give you rest. That can give you a relationship with me through an everlasting covenant that is secured by the servant, by Jesus, the perfect servant. So why spend money on what is not bread? And why spend your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear to me and come to me. Listen that you may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God... For he will freely pardon. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you for this gracious, incredible invitation of this feast to end all feasts. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that we bring nothing but our neediness and thirst, and that you welcome those, all those who, who turn to you in repentance and faith. Thank you that. What Jesus did on the cross doesn't just deal with our sin, but invites us into this incredible relationship with you, uh, an eternal relationship established through this new covenant. Um, thank you, our Father, for all that you have done for us. Thank you that uh, you give us joy, the deepest and most eternal joy that will fully satisfy our hearts. Thank you for the foretastes that we have of that today. And thank you that for the absolute and certain assurance and promise we have uh, that one day we will experience that joy in all its fullness for all eternity.
in this new heavens where all of creation sings your praise. Lord, tune our hearts to that day and help us live in line with it, we pray. Give us some now some foretaste and experience of that great and wonderful feast so that we might live in the joy of knowing you, uh, regardless of whatever else is going on in our lives. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.